Book Six, Chapter Sixteen of Camilla. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Velwest. Camilla, or A Picture of Youth by Fanny Burney. Book Six, Chapter Sixteen. And Helper. The next morning, as Camilla had accompanied Mrs. Arlberry in earnest discourse from her chamber to the hall, she heard the postman say, Miss Tyrold, as he gave in a letter. She seized it, saw the handwriting of Lionel, and ran eagerly into the parlour, which was empty, to read it, in some hopes it would at least contain an acknowledgment of the draft that might be shewn to Sir Sedley, and relieve her from the pain of continuing the principal in such an affair. The letter, however, was merely a sportive rhapsody, beginning, My dear Lady Clarendel, desiring her favour and protection, and telling her he had done what he could for her honour by adding two trophies to the victorious car of Hymen driven by the happy baronet. Wholly at a loss how to act, she sat ruminating over this letter till Mrs. Albury opened the door. Having no time to fold it, and dreading her seeing the first words, she threw her handkerchief, which was then in her hand, over it upon the table, hoping presently to draw it away unperceived. "'My dear friend,' said Mrs. Arlberry, "'I am glad to see you a moment alone. Do you know anything of Mandelbert?' "'No,' answered she, affrighted, lest any evil had happened. "'Did he not take leave of you at the rooms the other night?' leave of me is he gone anywhere he has left tunbridge camilla remained stupefied left it she continued without the poor civility of a call to ask you if you had any letters or messages for hampshire camilla coloured high she felt to her heart this evident coldness and she knew it to be still more marked than Mrs. Albury could divine, for he was aware she wished particularly to speak with him, and though she had failed in her appointment, he had not inquired why. "'And this is the man for whom you would relinquish all mankind? This is the grateful character who is to render you insensible to everybody?' The disturbed mind of Camilla needed not this speech— her debt to Sir Sedley, cast wholly upon herself by the thoughtless Lionel, her inability to pay it, the impressive lines the baronet had addressed to her, and the cruel and pointed indifference of Edgar, all forcibly united to make her wish at this moment her heart was at her own disposal. In a few minutes the voice of Sir Sedley, gaily singing, caught her ear. He was entering the hall, the street-door being open. She started up. Mrs. Albury would have detained her, but she could not endure to encounter him, and without returning his salutation or listening to his address, crossed him in the hall and flew upstairs. There, however, she had scarcely taken breath when she recollected the letter which she had left upon the table, and which the afflicting intelligence that Edgar had quitted Tunbridge had made her forget she had received in a terror immeasurable, lest her handkerchief should be drawn aside and betray the first line, she redescended the stairs and hastily entered the room. Her shock was then 
inexpressible. The handkerchief, which her own quick motion in retiring had displaced, was upon the floor. The letter was in full view. The eyes of Sir Sedley were fixed upon his own name with a look indefinable between pleasure and impertinence, and Mrs. Albury was laughing with all her might. She seized the letter, and was running away with it, when Mrs. Albury slipped out of the room, and Sir Sedley, shutting the door, half archly, half tenderly repeated from the letter, "'My dear Lady Clarendel!' In perfect agony she hid her face, exclaiming, "'Oh, Lionel, my foolish, cruel brother!' "'Not foolish, not cruel, I think him,' cried Sir Sedley, taking her hand, but amiable he has done honour to my name and he will use it i hope henceforth as his own forget forget his flippancy cried she withdrawing impatiently her hand and pardon his sister's breach of engagement for this morning i hope soon very soon to repair it and i hope she did not know what to add she stopped stammered and then endeavoured to make her retreat don't go cried he, gently detaining her. "'Incomparable, Camilla, I have a thousand things to say to you. Will you not hear them?' "'No!' cried she, disengaging herself. "'No, no, no! I can hear nothing!' "'Do you fascinate, then?' said he, half reproachfully. "'Like the rattlesnake, only to destroy?' Camilla conceived this as alluding to her recent encouragement, and stood trembling, with expectation it would be followed by a claim upon her justice. But Sir Sedley, who was far from any meaning so pointed, lightly added, "'What thus agitates the fairest of creatures? Can she fear a poor captive entangled in the witchery of her loveliness, and only the more enslaved the more he struggles to get free?' let me go cried she eager to stop him i beseech you sir sedley all beauteous camilla said he retreating yet still so as to intercept her passage am i bound to submit but when may i see you again oh, at any time replied she hastily only let me pass now at any time adorable camilla be it then to-night be it this evening be it at noon be it no 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 cried she panting with shame and alarm i do not mean at any time i spoke without thought i mean oh, speak so ever and anon cried he if thought is my enemy this evening then he stopped as if irresolute how to finish his phrase but soon added adieu till this evening adieu and opened the door for her to pass triumph sat in his eye Exultation spoke in every feature, yet his voice betrayed constraint, and seemed checked as if from fear of entrusting it with his sentiments. The fear, however, was palpably not of diffidence with respect to Camilla, but of indecision with regard to himself. Camilla, almost sinking with shame, now hung back from a dread of leaving him in this dangerous delusion. She sat down, and in a faltering voice said, Sir Sedley, hear me, I beg. Hear you? cried he, gallantly casting himself at her feet. 
yes from the fervid rays of the sun to the mild luster of the moon from a loud knock at the street door and a ringing at the same time at the bell made him rise meaning to shut again the door of the parlour but he was prevented by the entrance of a man into the hall calling out in a voice that reached to every part of the house an express for miss camilla tyrold camilla started up concluding it some strange intelligence concerning edgar but a letter was put into her hand and she saw it was the writing of lavinia it was short but most affectionate it told her that news was just arrived from the continent which gave reason for hourly expectation of their cousin Linmere at Cleves, in consequence of which Sir Hugh was assembling all the family to receive him. She was then, with her father, going thither from Etherington, where the restored health of her uncle had, for a week past, enabled them to reside, and she was ordered to send off an express to Tunbridge, to beg Camilla would prepare immediately for the post-chase of Sir Hugh which would be sent for her with the cleves housekeeper and reach mount pleasant within a few hours after this notice a hundred questions assailed camilla when she had run over this letter the noise of the express having brought mrs albury and the dennells into the parlour she produced the letter and putting it in the hands of mrs albury relieved her painful confusion by quitting the room without again meeting the eyes of sir sedley she could make no preparation, however, for her journey from mingled desire and fear of an explanation with the baronet before her departure. Again, therefore, in a few minutes she went down, gathering courage from the horror of a mistake that might lead to so much mischief. She found only Mrs. Arlberry in the parlour. Involuntarily staring, "'Where,' she cried, "'is Sir Sedley?' "'He is gone.' answered mrs albury laughing at her earnestness but no doubt you will soon see him at cleves then i am undone cried she bursting into tears and running back to her chamber mrs albury instantly followed and kindly inquired what disturbed her oh mrs albury she cried lend me i beseech you some aid and spare me in pity your raillery sir sedley i fear greatly mistakes me set him right i conjure you me my dear and do you think if some happy fatality is at work at this moment to force you to your good i will come forth like your evil genius to counteract its operations i must write then yet in this haste this confusion i fear to involve rather than extricate myself ay write by all means there is nothing so prettily forwards these affairs as a correspondence between the parties undertaken to put an end to them she went laughing out of the chamber and camilla who had seized a pen distressfully flung it from her what indeed could she say he had made no direct declaration she could give therefore no direct repulse and though through her brother's cruel want of all consideration she was so deeply in his debt she durst no longer promise its discharge for the strange departure of edgar robbed her of all courage to make to him her mediated application yet to leave sir sedley in this error was every way terrible 
if which still seemed very possible from his manner and behaviour he should check his partiality and make the whole of what had passed end in mere public-place gallantry she must always have the mortification to know he had considered her as ready to accept him if on the contrary encouraging what he felt for her from the belief she returned his best opinion he should seriously demand her hand how could she justify the apparent attention she once paid him and how assert while so hopelessly his debtor the independence to reject one who so many ways seemed to hold himself secure she was broken in upon by mrs mitten who entered fun of lamentation at the intelligence she had just heard from Miss Dennell of her sudden departure, which she ended with, "'But as you are going in such haste, my dear, you must have fifty things to do, so pray now, let me help you. Come, what shall I pack for you? Where's all your things?' Camilla, incapable of doing any business for herself, accepted the offer. "'Well, then, now, where's your gowns? Bless me!' what a one is here why it's been in the dew and then in the dust and then in the dew again till all the bottom must be cut off why you can never shew it amongst your friends it will quite bring a disgrace upon poor tunbridge come i think you must give it to me i've got a piece of muslin just like it and i can piece it so that it won't appear but it will never do for you again camilla was surprised but her mind was filled with other matters and the gown was put apart what are those all your neck handkerchiefs why my dear miss tyrold that's a thing you want very bad indeed why here's one you can never wear again it wants more darning than is worth camilla said she should have very good time to mend it at home but then my dear you don't consider what a bad look that will have amongst your friends what will they think of poor tunbridge that you should have let it go so far why maybe they'll never let you come again the best way will be not to let them see it suppose i take it off your hands i dare say they don't know your count at any other time camilla would have either resisted these seizures or have been diverted by the pretence that they were made only for her own benefit but she was now glad at any rate to get rid of the care of the package when this was over and mrs mitten had pretty well paid herself for her trouble well my dear she cried and what can i do for you next have you paid mrs tilden and mr doust and mr tent these were questions that indeed roused camilla from her reverie she had not once thought of what she owed to the milliner to her shoemaker nor to her haberdasher from all of whom she had now through the hands of mrs mitten had various articles she thanked her for reminding her of so necessary an attention, and said she would immediately send for the bills. "'I'll run and pay em for you myself,' said Mrs. Mitten, "'for they always take that kind, and, as I recommended them all to you, I have a right they should know how I stand their friend, for there's many an odd service they may do me in return, so I'll go with you with all my heart, only give me the money.' Camilla took out her purse, in which, from her debt to Sir Sedley, and perpetually current expenses, there now remained but fifteen shillings of her borrowed five guineas, though latterly she had wholly denied herself whatever did not seem an expense unavoidable. What to do she now knew not, for, though all she had ordered had been trifling, she was sure it must amount to four or five guineas. 
she had repeatedly refused to borrow anything more of mrs albury always hoping every call for money would be the last but she was too inexperienced to know that in gay circles and public places the demands for wealth are endless and countless and that economy itself which is always local is there lavish and extravagant compared to its character in private scenes and retired life yet this was the last moment to apply to mrs albury upon such a subject since it would be endowing her with fresh arms to fight the cause of sir sedley she sat still and ruminating till mrs mitten who without scruple had taken a full inventory of the contents of the purse exclaimed la my dear why i sure hope that isn't all you got left camilla was fain to confess she had nothing more at tunbridge well don't be uneasy my dear cried she and i'll go to em all and be cautioned for you till you get the money Camilla thanked her very sincerely, and again resumed her first opinion of her real good nature and kindness of heart. She took her direction in London, whither she was soon to return, and promised, in a short time, to transmit the money for her to distribute, as every one of the shopkeepers went to the metropolis in the winter. Delighted both with the praise and the commission, Mrs. Mitten took leave, and Camilla, determined to employ her next quarter's allowance in paying these debts, and frankly to beg from her uncle the five guineas that were due to Mrs. Arlbury. She then wrote an affectionate adieu to Mrs. Burlington, entreating to hear from her at Etherington, and, while she was sealing it, Mrs. Arlbury came to embrace her as the carriage was at the door. Camilla, in making her acknowledgments for the kindness she had received, intermingled a petition that at least she would not augment if she refused to clear the mistake of Sir Sedley. "'I believe he may safely,' she answered, "'be left to himself, though it is plain that at this moment he is in a difficulty as great as your own. For marriage he still resists, though he finds you resistless. I wish you mutually to be parted till—' pardon me my fair friend your understandings are mutually cleared and he is divested of what is too facetious and you of what is too artless your situation is indeed rather whimsical for the two mortals with whom you have to deal require treatment diametrically opposite yet humour them a little adroitly and you presently gain them both he that is proud must be distance he that is vain must be flattered. This is paying them with their own coin, but they hold no other to be current. Pride, if not humbled, degenerates into contempt. Vanity, if not indulged, dissolves into indifference. Camilla disclaimed taking any measures with respect to either, but Mrs. Albury insisted the field would be won by Sir Sedley, who is already, she cried, persuaded you have for some time encouraged him, and that now you are fully propitious. Camilla hastily interrupted her. Oh, Mrs. Albury, she cried, I cannot endure this. Add not to my disturbance by making it my own work. She then embraced her, took leave of the Dennells, and with the housekeeper of Sir Hugh set out from Tunbridge for Cleves. End of chapter 16